Good to see you guys tonight. How we doing? Love to hear it. Love to see it. Oh, I was talking with uh, David Kwan, who is not uh, with us tonight. He and Ariel are in California spending some time with family. But we got to have them over for dinner a couple nights ago. And uh, we were just talking about how the Wednesday night is so sweet. It's so good. It's so refreshing. If you're anything like me, one, two days into the week, it's already mayhem. I'm already, I'm already crumbling. My attitude's just tanking. It's so nice to be able to come in the middle of the week and be in the Lord's Word. Amen? And be spending time together and fellowshipping. So I'm stoked you guys are here. Um, if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll do our best to get you one. Um, and if you have your Bibles, we're still chucking through Matthew chapter 5. So please open to Matthew 5 and we're going to attempt... 17 to 32. We've been uh, we've, slow and steady wins the race in Matthew 5 for us recently, but we're, I'm going to attempt to get to 32. If we don't end up getting there, I'm teaching next week, so it's all good. Um, we'll get to it eventually. So Matthew 5, 17, um, if you guys are there, awesome, but before we dive in, we're going to pray one more time that the Lord would be here and that he would Um, be with us as we dive into his word. Amen. Sweet. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's inerrant. It's perfect. It has full authority over our lives. And it's going to stand the test of time as it already has. I pray that you would just be over us as we're studying it tonight. Please be over the words that I say. I want to honor you with this time as we get into um, some truth in your word and words that you spoke. So Lord Jesus, would you be with us tonight? We love you, we honor you, and we give you this evening in your name. Amen. Sweet. Matthew 5, 17. Um, The Sermon on the Mount is about to change gears a little bit. We've gone through the Beatitudes, and last week um, David taught on being the salt and the light. The salt and the light of the world, meaning, hey, if salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be tossed out, and you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. Talking about us as believers, hey, we're the salt of the world. If our witness is good for nothing, or if we're not demonstrating or out in the world, living what the Lord has done for us, proclaiming the good news, if our lives aren't a testimony, if we've lost our saltiness, What are we here for? What are we good for? That's our roles as Christians. We're to be an influence on this this world, not being influenced by this world. Amen? So we went over that. Um, We're switching gears. We're going to be talking about, or Jesus is going to be talking about the law, Um, which in this day, as he's teaching, remembering, we're not up there on the mount. It's Jews and it's the Pharisees and the scribes who are sitting there taking in what this Jesus, this new player on the field, is uh, performing miracles and now teaching. So the Jews who have seen this or heard about it are sitting back and they're being taught. So verse 17, we'll jump right in. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle 
will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So as Jesus is starting to dig into the law, um, he says, do not think. He's saying, do not think, because this is what people were thinking. The, maybe not the general consensus, but the temperature of the room as Jesus is beginning his ministry, performing miracles and teaching, remember that Israel is under Roman rule at the time, and the Jews at this time were thinking, awesome, this is our guy, he's going to overthrow Rome, free us from their slavery, and he's going to take the throne and rule over us, um, and it's going to be a new era. He's going to usher in a new, I guess, yeah, era of um, our Jewish lives. But Jesus combats that. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. Jesus here is demonstrating that he is not going to destroy the law. His teachings were controversial to the way that the law was being acted out and observed in that day. In that day, the Pharisees and the scribes, those upholding the law in Jerusalem, it was very, very much so visual. It was very much so actions. It was something that they held themselves very proud to have be, or to be um, examples of. They took pride in the way that the Jews kept the law. You earned your righteousness by keeping the law. Um, so Jesus here is saying, for assuredly I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass, or will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And I was thinking about this, okay? If Christ did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, we know that now, having read the New Testament, hey, Jesus is and has fulfilled the law already. I think about him um, fulfilling the law one by his life. Jesus embodied the law, fully man, fully God, but he was man. He is the only man or woman to ever walk this earth and fulfill the completeness to the letter of the law. His life was perfect. No bad thoughts, no actions of sin. He fulfilled the law in that sense in his lifetime better and more effectively than anyone ever will because obviously we know He's God. Amen? He is the one, when we think about it, um, I forget where it's at, but his disciples are asking him, Jesus, let us see the Father and we'll be satisfied. And he says to them, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God and Jesus and the Trinity, or the Holy Spirit, three in one, but one being, one God, one sovereign God. And Jesus is the one who gave the people of Israel the law. God gave Israel to the prophets and the um, old Israelites, to Moses, uh, the Mosaic law, the Levitical law, the Ten Commandments. He is the one who gave Israel the law. So not only did he, one, live it perfectly, fulfilling the law that way, two, he is the giver of the law. And because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's simplifying and he's reiterating, hey, I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. He cannot, in his righteousness and goodness and in his perfectness of character, break that which he gave the people of Israel to live by. Amen? Um, I think about one example of this is he is our Passover lamb. 
when the children of Israel are being led out of Egypt, and the, uh, Moses is leading the people and telling the people, hey, this last thing that the Lord is going to do um, to the people of Egypt before we go, you need to um, kill uh, a lamb and take its blood and put it on the doorpost of your homes so that when the angel of death comes over the city, he will see that there's blood on the doorpost and your firstborn will be saved. Um, we know that and we have that picture now that we see in the word of the cross. Amen? He was the sacrificial lamb for us. The Lord, if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in you, sees the blood of the lamb, not the lamb that was slain for the people of Israel in that day, but he sees the perfect Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb for our sins, painted on the doorposts of our lives, our hearts, and passes over. Um, so he's living it in his life, perfectly fulfilling the law. Um, he fulfills the law um, through prophecy, um, through the things that have taken place in his ministry, his death and resurrection. And at the end of all things, and I think when it says in 18, for assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. The law will be fulfilled when Jesus comes and gets his church and establishes a new heaven and a new earth. All will be fulfilled. But the law stays intact. We now have a different relationship with the law. It's no longer, you blew it, so <laughs> you come on Sunday with a spotless lamb, and you roll into church, and Steve's up here in his robes, looking good, ready to perform some sacrifices. You come in, you bring the lamb to Steve. Steve kneels down, and I apologize for the bloody picture, slits the throat of the lamb, the blood pours out, signifying, hey, this blood of this spotless sacrificial lamb was poured out for you so that you have this covering of the blood over your life. We now know that would be ridiculous. One, awful scenery. Two, very impractical. We have now in us the sacrificial lamb, the perfect and final fulfillment of that in us, in his Holy Spirit. Amen? So we have a difference in relationship with the law, though one jot and one tittle will by no means pass away. The law is still intact. The law is still well and good, but we know now that we don't follow the law by X, Y, and Z and acting it out perfectly. Steve mentioned this on Sunday. The law now is our school teacher. When we look at the Ten Commandments, I think about um, that classic example of if you're witnessing to someone and you're trying to draw them closer to the Lord and you say, hey, in the Ten Commandments it says, thou shalt not steal. Have you stolen anything? And they're like, well, yeah, one time. Stole a pack of gum or something like that. And then you can say then, well, hey, you've already broken the law. This has been broken. You are, by God's definition, a sinner and need a Savior. We have that relationship now where we can look at the law and say, wow, I am broken. I do need a Savior. But we don't go through the rigorous, um, very over-spiritualized thing that these guys were in this day. We get to go straight to the King. Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Would you please forgive me and come into my life? The law is now for us that school teacher, that flashing light that says, hey, something's wrong. It needs to be fixed. Um, I also loved, just quickly, one, jittle, or one jot and one tittle will by no, no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. 
if we know that finally at the end of days when the Lord comes back for his church and is taken away, his word remains. Men and women throughout history have tried to discount, disprove, shove aside, and just blatantly disregard God's word. But God's word will and always will stand the test of time. There is nothing that can happen in this world. There is nothing that the leaders of this world can do, a government, um, whatever it is, whether it's somebody personal in your life, take away this word. It will stand the test of time, and it will always be perfect. It will always be something that we can look to for truth. Amen? So I was encouraged by that, just thinking about that, and I was stoked. I was like, man, praise the Lord that this isn't something that as believers, we can get flip-flopped on. If you're in the Lord's Word and you're studying it and you're falling in love with the Lord, this will always, always keep you on track. This will always, always bring you closer to Jesus. Amen? So be in your Word. I needed to hear that this week, and I need that encouragement just to realize, hey, this isn't going anywhere. This Word of His is perfect. And he wrote it to you and I because he loves us. He wants us to pursue him through his word. Um, so I was stoked on that. 19, wow, I'm not going to make it, huh? Anyway, 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Pretty simple truth here. If you're saying, hey, you need to do this, X, Y, Z, you need to finish this, do this perfectly, but then you say, I'm going to do whatever I want because it doesn't apply to me or because I don't want to. The word is clear. You may be a believer. You may be saved. It says you'll be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But the Lord is saying here, hey, if you're going to tell someone to observe the law, to observe this word, and then you don't want to do it yourself, hey, you'll be the least in the kingdom of heaven. So a quick little word of caution, and it's actually going to continue, so I don't want to go too, too deeply into it. But if we're going to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, if we want to observe the Lord's word and observe truth and live it out practically in our lives, like think about the Beatitudes, right? He didn't just say that, blessed are you, blessed are you, for us to go, nah, I don't want to do those things. The Lord desires for us to live righteously, for us to follow his word. So if we're going to do that and we say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, like Paul said to these guys, hey, let's run together, then run together. All right, let's be people who say, hey, I want you to do this, but I'm going to do this right there with you. I want to be faithful to what the Lord's called us to do. This isn't saying that if you fail in those things, if you want to pursue the Lord and you are pursuing the Lord, you have a heart to follow the Lord and you slip up, at least in the kingdom of heaven. There's grace for you and I, amen? That's another cool thing about our relationship with the law. There's no longer the hammer and saying, you're done, that's it, you broke the law. And then there's no bringing that sacrifice up in shame and saying, ah, I blew it. We have grace because of our sacrificial lamb. Because of what Jesus did, we, when we fail, and inevitably it happens, I'm not condoning it, but when it happens, we get to boldly come to the throne and say, Lord, forgive me. I sinned here. I did this. And he says, hey, come on up. Let's keep going. That sin is separated as far as the east is, from the west. I remember it no more. 
follow after me. Amen? I think that's cool. It would have been hard to live in this time with this. And remember, the law is a good thing, but it was super heavy. There was a lot of things you had to do to either be purified or to bring sacrifices for sin, for peace offerings throughout the law. It was rigorous. But we have such a cool, such a blessed gift from the Lord that we get to just say, hey, you're the fulfillment of the law in my life. You completed the law successfully so that I don't have to for my salvation. Lord, you're my righteousness. And we get to go to the throne and say, hey, yeah, I blew it, but Jesus. Amen? I'm stoked about that because I've blown it millions of times. And God has been so gracious and faithful to me, and it baffles me that I still get to come to the throne and say, Lord, I blew it here. And he says, hey, you're forgiven. Let's keep going. I hope you guys are encouraged by that. Um, For I say to you, verse 20, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And verse 20, as I was studying it, it's kind of like backwards. Uh, You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Didn't we just go through this? Hey, like, I'm not following after the law the way that the Pharisees and scribes did. Um, But when it gets to verse 20, this is referring to those who would say, I understand, I see. Uh, I mean, in in our present day, knowing what we know as Christians, people who might say, I see what the cross does. I I know that gift of salvation is there. I know that he's the fulfillment of the law in my life. I still want to do this on my own merit. I want to do things the way that I want to do things, and I'll earn that righteousness. The word here is saying, hey, if you're going to try that out, your righteousness needs to exceed those of the scribes and Pharisees. Um, As I was looking into the scribes and Pharisees, there's no way. They were so studious. They were so committed and disciplined. You look into the things that um, they would hold themselves to back in this day in the law. I think Steve has mentioned it like on the Sabbath day, like there was no getting in your car in this day and age starting your engine because you technically kindled a fire, which was a no-no on the Sabbath. So there's no driving anywhere. Um, There's no making phone calls because that electricity goes through and kindles a fire. And there's so many things that are so impossible for us. So as a warning, I just want us to be able to say, okay, Lord, you've done it. I don't want to do it because we see here. Actually, let's go. I will go. I'm going to go to Romans 10.3. Um, and then James 2.10, just a couple passages that back this up. 10.3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness through their own works, through trying to do it on their own merit, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. When we decide to do it on our own, we're saying, no, Lord, I got this. We're not being submissive to what the Lord has already done. And then James 2.10, I had to put this guy there because it's hard to find James sometimes. James 2.10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. So if we're going to try to hold ourselves to the law the way that the scribes and Pharisees would, if we reject and say, no, Lord, I don't want this gift. I don't want this righteousness that's imputed to me by faith in you. I want to do it. If we break one thing in the law, we're guilty of all of it. And I know that this may seem like something, hey, Josh, I know this. This is kind of a no-brainer. I hear this all the time. I don't know many people that are 
offering sacrifices, that are acknowledging all the feasts, that are holding themselves to this biblical standard of what the law was back in that day with a desire of earning their own righteousness. But I think it can be subtle in our own minds and hearts when we say, ah, I want to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to mess up again. It's a good heart, but the reality is we and ourselves will never be able to fulfill the law the way that the Lord did. It's much better for us to say, Lord, you're the lamb, the perfect sacrificial lamb. I accept what you've done and your work. It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with you. Trust the Lord for his finished and complete work in our lives. Amen, guys? 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. You're going to see that a few times, and actually I missed that already in 18, where the Lord says, hey, you have heard it said to those of old, um, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Jesus is saying, hey, in the teaching in the synagogues, you've heard it said when you're listening, when you're listening to the Old Testament, to the Psalms, you've heard it said and you've heard it taught this way, I say to you, it's a cool thing there. The Lord is saying, hey, this is true, this is right, but he's also putting himself right up there with his word in authority, saying, hey, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and I thought that was cool. That would have been really jarring for the religious folks in the crowd. That would have been pretty gnarly. They would have gone like, oh, you say. And that's to us now, we say, okay, Lord, like I see, but to them in that day, that was a big deal. But it's cool to see that the Lord is saying, hey, you've heard it true, truly said in my word, but I say to you, good reminder for me that the Lord has authority to speak in my life. Amen. He has the authority, the only authority to speak into our lives. Um, but he's exercising that here. I don't want to stay too long, but I thought that was really cool. So keep an eye out for those as we travel through because um, there's going to be a few of them. You have heard it said, those of old you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, Rasa? Raka, I'm going with Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. This section here, the Lord is bringing up something that was a big distinguished difference between the, the way that the law was being exercised in that time and then the way that the Lord views the law. The Lord views the heart. Amen? Yes, there is a point when, hey, we've done something wrong physically in action, but the Lord is going a step further. He's saying, hey, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. The Lord is not saying if you're angry with, angry with your brother, you've murdered him. It's the same as murdering somebody. That's not necessarily what's being said, but what is being said is, hey, that thought, that heart issue, that thing racing through your mind, that is also a sin. That's also wrong. Um, and it was also kind of a big deal to these guys because like, we, like I said, and maybe I said it too quickly, I apologize, the law that it was exercised at that time was very experiential. It was very in your face. It was 
you would watch the Pharisees and the scribes or the people around you on those Sabbath days or whatever was going on. Everything was right up there. And if you did something wrong, that was against the law. That was breaking the law. But the Lord's taking it a step further and saying, hey, if you have anger against your brother, and we're going to see there's more examples down the line in Matthew, the Lord's getting to the heart of the issue, the heart. And I think this is a good one, at least for me. I have to be reminded of that a lot. And I think I can justify it. I think we can justify it in saying, well, ah, I didn't actually do this. I didn't, I didn't go say this to their face. I didn't, I didn't call him a fool. I didn't actually like go talk to that chick or lust for her in action. But the Lord's saying, hey, like, it starts here. You, we need to be aware of it here. And as we battle the heart and the mind, it's really challenging. Dare I say, impossible to do without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need the Lord to be able to govern our hearts and our mind and say, hey, Josh, that thought, that needs to be put under control. I need that to be reeled in. Hey, take your thoughts captive. That thought or that feeling in your heart right now, hey, that's wrong. Um, so the Lord is getting to that as well. Um, and then it goes into, I tried to look up, I looked up Raka. There's no exact um, interpretation for it. It's more of like an attitude, kind of mocking someone's um, mental capacity. It'd be like calling somebody stupid or calling somebody an imbecile or something like that. And uh, so basically he's calling out, hey, if you are calling your brother an imbecile or stupid, that's not cool. And that started here. And then also, um, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. That one is also, for me, I think I notice a lot, maybe even jokingly or seriously, I think that's one that kind of flies by unchecked sometimes. Like, ah, that guy's a fool. That guy's a dummy. Uh, Fool was more in the context of somebody's character. I think we need to be more gracious and slow to anger when we judge someone's character or that the way that we see people handle situations. Um, not that they can't be in the wrong, but we need to realize, hey, like we've been extended so much grace for our foolish things. We've been extended so much grace when we've been called the fool. We need to understand these people that are around us that we're in our lives with, whether it's work or home, whatever it is, they need that grace too. Um, I thought that was cool. Am I going too fast? Am I making sense? Everything sounding okay? Good deal. 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Obedience is better than sacrifice. The Lord is basically saying, hey, if you're coming to offer a gift or come to offer something to me, but you haven't handled something that you know is wrong, a personal relationship that you know is wrong, go handle that first. I would rather that relationship be set up properly again, right once more, before you come to me with this in your heart or when you're dealing with this. I think this is for us, maybe when we're walking in the church and the wife and the hubby are fighting, or maybe it's a coworker or a sibling. Let's get those things right. If you know, if the Lord's saying to you, hey, like this needs to be addressed. Josh, 
this needs to be handled. You're not going to be able to experience all that I have for you today. You're not going to be able to experience that freshness and that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit that I want to give you if this is wrong. So the Lord's saying, hey, go fix that with your brother. Go fix that with your sister. And then come back to the Lord and give that offering. Amen? That's a really practical one. And it's a tough one. Because it's almost like instant obedience. It's that instant, hey, like, ah, Lord, I know this is wrong. Can't it wait till after service? The Lord says, hey, go handle it. And then come. Um, so as a gentle and friendly urge if there's things that we need to handle if there's people that we need to get right with let's do it in obedience to the lord amen it'd be such a bummer to come week after week after week through worship and a teaching and the whole time the lord's just like hey that thing let's handle it hey go set that right go apologize hey go say i forgive you Go fix this thing. I want to pour into you. I want to bless you. Go handle this. The Lord cares deeply about our relationships with one another. It is a beautiful way that He, through His Spirit, shows the world His goodness. His character is the way that a a believer filled with the Holy Spirit interacts with other people. Amen? Let's handle it. Where did I leave off? 25, 25. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. If it's a business dealing or something's going on with an adversary, hey, be the bigger man. Be the bigger woman. If you've done wrong, Go make it right. I've been listening to uh, this teaching through Leviticus, um, and it's talking about some of those things. And the Lord's heart, I didn't really, I hadn't really caught it, or I didn't really notice at that point. But the Lord, when something or someone had done someone wrong, or if you had done something wrong to somebody, you were to pay back what you stole or what was done wrong, and you were to add twenty percent as a, hey, paying it forward. Hey, I want this to be right. I'm gonna pay off what I owe you, and I'm going to give you extra. Same heart here. Hey, if there's something going on, whether it's business or something that you have against your enemy or that they have against you, don't let it linger. Handle it and then take care of it and then be on your way lest they take advantage of that or they say, no, 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 we're going to handle this now. And you end up in a position where you don't want to be and could have escaped if it wasn't just handled right then and there. Um, I don't know what that is. I didn't really have a personal example or anything going on where I was like, oh man, I got to pay that guy back. I'm uh, I'm in the hole. Maybe there's something for you guys. I don't know. Let that do what it may. And the Holy Spirit speak to you with that as it may. Uh, But on we go. 27. How are we doing on time? Perfect. (laughs) I brought my phone because I can never see that. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. I'm a man, so I'm going to speak for men. The Lord's heart on adultery, sexual immorality, is very, very clear. If you lust after a woman in your heart, be quick, quick to repentance. This was something that I definitely struggled with when I was younger and um, was just lust in my eyes. And it was a big thing. And I think if we're honest with us, and please don't raise your hands, but as men, as I said, speaking for men, it's a struggle. We're very physical. We're very visual. And the Lord is saying here, hey, the act is wrong. Yes, you ought not to commit adultery in the act. But hey, similar to what we talked about earlier, it starts here. And the Lord's heart for this is, hey, if you notice that, or if it's something that you really do struggle with, keep it in check. Take your thoughts captive. Be in prayer. Lord, I really struggle with lust. Would you please Keep your spirit fresh in my heart so that I can be quick to repentance and keep my eyes on you. Don't keep eyes here. Keep eyes on the Lord. Amen? I know that's a touchy subject, and it's a pretty practical one. We live in a day and age where sex, nudity, it's just out there. It's everywhere. No matter where you turn, especially on this island. It's hard to just go enjoy a day at the beach with my wife because it's like, oh my gosh, like, let's go find another really private beach because I don't want to be surrounded by this. For us men here living on this island, for whatever reason, the Lord has us here, but this is a big no-no. Let's keep our hearts and our eyes clean. Let's honor the Lord in that. Amen. I'm not sure what else to say. I know that that's a big topic, but my heart for the men in this church, myself, and the men in the body. Let's be quick to repentance if we do fall in that. But before that, let's have our eyes on the Lord and desire purity. It's such a wrecker of homes. It will wreck lives and marriages. It's so destructive, and the enemy wants to say, it's not that bad. The law, as I was reading and studying for this, the priest would say, hey, like, Almost anything up to this point, this action of adultery, it's like kind of a safe zone. But the Lord is saying, no, absolutely not. If you look at a woman with adultery in your heart, it's a sin. There was, well, we'll move on. Let's be pure in heart, amen? It's destructive, it's sad. I hate hearing about marriages or relationships where a man or a woman, because we're both guilty, falls into that sin, and the enemy just will lie to you. It's not that bad. Go for it. Ah, what, what could it hurt? And then capitalizes on it. And rips families. Rips marriages. Rips friendships. It's one of the biggest lies of our generation, of the world we live in. Let's trust the Lord's Word, knowing that sexual purity keeping our eyes on the Lord and off of each other is good for our hearts and good for our lives. Amen? Amen.
We're going to wrap up on a pretty light note, 31 and 32. I was debating it before today. I was like, do I really want to jump into this at the end? And uh, I was like, I'll see how the time is, but we have time. So we're going to go for it. Furthermore, verse 31, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let, um, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except, except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, as I was looking into it, there were kind of two schools of thought. I forget the names. But there was one school of thought that basically said and agreed with this here. Hey, if there's sexual immorality in the marriage that was worthy to say that give that certificate of divorce and say, hey, you've been unfaithful, one or the other. This is, excuse me, the certificate of divorce. And that was binding. But there was also another party around that time. <laughs> and it was, it's funny, but it's not funny. That basically thought like, if the wife did anything that was like displeasing to the husband at all, and the example that they used and <laughs> that I saw a lot was like, if she burnt his breakfast, you could divorce her. And obviously to us, reading that, I was like, that guy needs some more patience. Or, never mind. But I just thought, I was like, that's pretty ridiculous. But as we live in this day and age, I see similar things. Things that are like, ah, oh, well, we couldn't quite agree on where to take the kids to school, so we got a divorce. Or we couldn't quite fasten up this area of our lives, or I wanted to handle the finances this way, and she wanted to do it this way, so we got a divorce. And I'm in no means and in no facet trying to make light of divorce, make light of that situation. It's heartbreaking, it's wrong, and it is in its entirety against God's will for marriages. Um, hmm. Similar to the sexual immorality, let's give those things in our marriages over to the Lord. Let's trust His Word and what His design is for marriage, what His will is for marriage, and watch Him prosper our marriages. This topic of if she leaves his wife or if he leaves his wife for sexual immorality and causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. You may think it's legitimate. You may, in the eyes of the state or of our government, say, hey, it's legitimate. We've got the papers. We have this. But the Lord here in verse 32, as it's signified, it's not legitimate in the Lord's eyes. In the Lord's eyes, that marriage is binding. It's still there. I want my marriage and the marriages that we have in this church and the marriages in the future if you're not married, that covenant of marriage is a direct picture of us, the bride, and Jesus, the bridegroom. 
The Lord has his bride, the church, the body. And they will never, ever be separated. We are his for eternity. Amen? Similarly, our marriage is here. The wife and the husband, when you make that commitment and that joining together, the Lord's intent for that marriage is for it to be bonded and inseparable. Now, we're human. We blow it. There may be sexual, sexual immorality, big disagreements. Like I said, I'm not trying to make light of divorce. If you have been, again, please don't raise your hand or I'm not going to make a show of it. I know it's hard. Maybe it feels impossible. If you've been there, hey, I pray that the Lord would bless where you are now. Maybe change your heart. Maybe reconcile a broken marriage, a broken relationship. I don't know if that's in the cards per se. I'm just saying that as a kind of turn of phrase. So I don't, again, mean to make light of it. But the commitments and the promises that the Lord makes to us are eternal and binding. Like it says, one jot and one tittle will by no means pass away. That's his heart towards us, his bride. For our marriages, husbands or wives, let's keep that in mind. Hey, he might be a pain in the booty. She might be a pain in the booty. The Lord's heart is for your marriage to be a beautiful picture of us, the bride, and him, the father, the bridegroom. Amen? I know that's kind of a weird topic to end on, but... The big thing that I got out of this is we get to have Jesus through his Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds daily. We have his word available to us each and every day. If you don't, there's Bibles in the back. Snag one on the way out. These things that he's saying, for I say to you, for I say to you, we need to be well aware of his heart for us on those things. Amen? Um, I skipped over the hand. Maybe we'll get it. Maybe we'll get it next week. Um, but we have direction. Amen. We have truth and we have promises here. Let's be aware of them. Let's trust Jesus when he says when things are good for us. And then let's be quickly obedient. Sound good? Lord, I pray that for my life. It's oftentimes easier said than done. But I pray that we would be obedient to your word. Thank you that you have the authority to speak into our life. Thank you so much that we don't have to adhere to the rigorous, um, gnarly um, duties of the law the way that um, our brothers and sisters of old did. Thank you so much that we get to just rely on you and have a close relationship with you. Lord, I pray for this body. Um, that they would just be quick to repent, Lord, for those things that maybe that you want to touch in our hearts and in our minds that you want to bring notice to that maybe we have a hardened heart to, that you would just quickly bring those things up and that we would be sensitive to say, Lord, thank you for bringing this up. I lay it at your feet. Would you please forgive me? And then would there be a renewed relationship with you? Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thanks for Wednesday night and being able to spend time with these guys. It's so cool. Um, I pray a blessing over these people, Lord. Would you bless their weeks, the rest of their work, 
their marriages, their kiddos, their relationships. Thank you so much for this body. Thank you that we're going to spend eternity together. Um, Lord, come get us quickly, but help us to be bold with your word as we're here. We love you, Jesus. We love your word in your name. Amen.